Welcome to Digital Health Today, the podcast focused on the leaders, innovators and technologies transforming healthcare today and tomorrow. Find us online at digitalhealthtoday.com. Hello and welcome back to Digital Health Today, the place to be to get the insights of leaders making the healthcare of tomorrow available today. I'm your host, Dan Kendall, and thanks so much for joining me on this, our 93rd episode. And you know that you can always find us at our website, digitalhealthtoday.com. But did you know that you can also find us on the new Health Podcast Network? It's called the Health Podcast Network, and you can get this show and hundreds of other episodes by visiting healthpodcastnetwork.com. Be sure to sign up for the newsletter there and get a weekly digest of the latest podcasts focused on healthcare. In this episode, we dive into one of my favorite topics that we cover on this show. That's mental health, and specifically the treatment of major depressive disorder, also known as clinical depression. It's an area of tremendous need and one that can be very well served through the solutions and approaches that are being developed and made available to users all around the world. You can hear one example of this in an episode we recently did with Tom Insel. Tom is the president and co-founder of MindStrong Health and formerly the director of the National Institute of Mental Health. The team at MindStrong Health is doing some amazing work to track data collected through mobile devices to drive better, earlier, and deeper understandings about mental health. Check out the episode we did with Tom at digitalhealthtoday.com slash 82. In this episode, number 93, we tackle how people suffering from depression can be matched with a medication that works for them. So how big of a problem is severe depression? Well, more than 300 million people of all ages suffer from depression, and at its worst, it can lead to suicide. Fewer than half of those suffering from depression are able to receive treatment due to limited resources, a lack of trained healthcare providers, and of course, the social stigma that is still sadly associated with mental disorders. There's a host of treatment options available for depression, but the effectiveness of the treatments really depends on the type of depression and its severity, and of course, each individual's adherence and their own response. Some of the options include psychotherapy, psychoeducation, support groups, medications, and brain stimulation therapies. Now, none of these options provide instant relief, and in the case of medications, it's sometimes not known for many weeks if the treatment is effective at all. Antidepressants, for example, can often take two to four weeks to begin having an effect and up to 12 weeks to reach full effect. To learn more about this topic, I spoke to Talia Cohen-Salal. She's the CEO and co-founder of Genetica Plus. Genetica Plus is developing a cellular and genetics-based platform to provide meaningful predictions of patient responses to antidepressants. Using biological, environmental, and genetic data, they're developing a personalized solution for each patient to help them recover better and faster. You can find the links to this show and notes from this episode at our website at digitalhealthtoday.com forward slash 93. Now let's tune into the conversation with Talia Cohen-Salal from Genetica Plus. Talia, thanks for joining me. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Talia, we're going to dive into all the work that you're doing and the science behind the company that you're leading now. But first, I want to understand a little bit more about yourself and what led you to focus on mental illness. Can you take us through some of the history and how that evolved? Sure. So I've been very passionate about mental illness and treating mental illness for a very long time now. Um, I actually had some experience with some family members in my life that exposed me to the devastating effects of the illness, and then that obviously had a big impact on me. And then when I went on to study neuroscience as a, an undergraduate and then a PhD and etc., I was immediately drawn to mental health as an area of research, because to me, it affects such a large population, it's chronic, and that's something that feels like it brings even more urgency um, to try and make a difference. And it affects the young and the working population. 
And I think that it's had so much stigma attached over the last centuries that only in the last few decades have we really been able to make some of that really valuable progress. And it's been a real honor to be part of that progress, both as an academic in my PhD and postdoc work, and then now in industry trying to bring real meaningful technologies to people. I'm really sorry to hear that you had some personal experience. I think that's what calls a lot of us to work in healthcare is exposure Mm -hmm. through family or friends, someone we care about, or even just something we see in the news and the headlines that we want to apply ourselves and our talents to try to make this better for other people. You're focused on mental health, but you're focused specifically within that around depression. Is that right? That's correct. And even depression itself has a lot of different classifications. Can you tell us a little bit about major depression and some of the different types of depression and how it can affect people? So major depression is, it can be quite broad, I think, and when one starts to take it apart. But the broad classification of major depression is presenting with several different symptoms. In the United States, we like to classify it by this DSMV code. And that kind of gives us a way to focus in on what's a bunch of different symptoms that individuals are feeling. But basically, those feelings of sadness, often insomnia, appetite loss, and really these feelings that life is worthless or you yourself are worthless. It's uh, very challenging to silence these feelings and these voices. And the persistence of that for a period of time, at least two weeks, but really this can go on for months and for some people even years before they seek treatment. So that's the problem that we're dealing with as a whole. So with all these different symptoms, what might a person's life actually be like if they're experiencing symptoms of clinical depression? I think it varies from individual to individual. Some people will feel just this chronic, persistent feeling of a loss of motivation, a loss of reward, and it persisting through a great period of time. To them, that is their major depression. And to some people, it'll be much, much more severe, and they can't get out of bed in the morning, and they can't get to work, and they can't function when they're there. And I think that Actually, a large number of people don't seek treatment or don't seek help for their depression. And maybe some people aren't really aware that they do already fall into the category of major depression, unfortunately. And they do have something that our healthcare systems are able to provide some help for. So I think it's important to understand the range. And of course, this has a massive impact on a population level, on a global level, in terms of cost to economies, cost to businesses, cost to individuals. Can you give us any flavor around some of the details about that? Yeah, the costs are ginormous. So the cost globally is estimated at $1 trillion. And that's the kind of sum cost of all the impacts of major depression on society. And then in the United States, I think it's somewhere around $260 billion. And so you break that down. Some of these are the direct costs, the costs that you have on the healthcare system. But then you also have to factor in the days lost of work, the carers and the family members who are there to support those individuals and the time taken from there contribution to work and workplace and the impacts and effects on their lives. As a result of all these kind of cumulative effects, it's now been declared by the World Health Organization as the leading cause of disability worldwide. They originally predicted it would become the leading cause of disability further in the future. And unfortunately, the kind of growth in the population has brought that announcement forward by the World Health Organization and now is considered to be quite a major issue. What's sort of the worst case for people who suffer from depression? What's the sort of outcome that they can experience? It's obviously a very uh, individual and personal journey, how it's going to affect you and your life. Obviously, the worst case scenario is 
the loss of one's own life. The suicide rates are estimated to be up to 15% in patients with major depression, and they can be lower depending on the reported numbers. But obviously, that's the worst outcome. And some of the less severe but still very devastating outcomes can be loss of ability to work, you push family members away, become isolated, can become homeless as a result. It can really have devastating impacts for the individual and for all those around them. And so the kind of earlier one seeks treatment and the less societal stigma around this, I think, is positive and will be better for managing the illness. Yeah, this is very relevant for our community of listeners, not simply because we're all focused on improving health for millions and billions of people around the world, but really because, as you mentioned, this can lead to suicide. One doctor commits suicide every day in the United States. One doctor every day. That's more than twice the rate of the general population, and it's the highest suicide rate of any profession. So it's very core to the community of listeners that tune into this podcast from a, a personal level as well as from a professional perspective. And and as you mentioned, there's a lot that comes along with it. It's not just that worst case of loss of life, but also there's fatigue, there's weight changes, there's loss of concentration and other impacts that people can have when they're suffering from depression, right? Yes. Yeah, so additionally to all of those kind of side effects or those symptoms, it's also the impact of comorbidities. So you're more likely to get uh, numerous different other medical disorders, often linked to the obesity, for example, like the diabetes and other things which will have a long-term impact on the patient's lives and shorten their expected outcomes, etc. So it's more than just the symptoms that may go away with the right treatment. It can have really long-term impacts on one's health. So this isn't something that people are just going to snap out of. This is something that requires some professional intervention through medication and psychotherapy. Obviously, with psychotherapy, people can consult psychiatrists or psychologists or other mental health professionals. But from a medication perspective, that's what I want to dive into around your work. Tell me about some of the medications that are available. I think a lot of people automatically think of things like Prozac, but there are a lot of different drugs available and a lot of different combinations of drugs. What sort of drugs are available and how do you know what's going to work for a particular individual? So there are up to 12 different categories of medication that physicians can treat patients with. And there are five categories that are most commonly utilized. So the most common, as you said, Prozac that many people have heard of, these are a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. And basically serotonin is a drug that has a kind of positive effect on mood and emotion in the brain. And this increases the amount of serotonin available to patients in the brain. And so these types of drugs are Prozac, Selexa, Lexapro, Zoloft is another one that's commonly prescribed. And this really is the first choice medication for patients. It's not so much that its effect is so much greater than the other types of medication, but it has the fewest side effects. And so it's very positive and good to allow a patient to be able to take the medication and it not impact their life in so many other ways. So it's definitely the right choice and many physicians use this as the first choice of medication. After that, you start to go through other drugs and then the kind of range of side effects can be diverse and sometimes more serious. So other groups are SNRIs, which are somewhat similar to SSRIs, but have a bit of a broader effect. The tricyclic antidepressants, examples of this on the market might be Semontil or Tofranil. These are a, an older category of drug, but can be quite effective for patients. Though again, there's this uh, more severe side effects that can be expected. Another group that 
patients are often familiar with or might be familiar with are MAOIs, so monoamine oxidase inhibitors. And these drugs are also one of the earlier generation of drugs and have a good effect on some individuals. And it's about helping those individuals find that drug. But you do have to be strict with what you eat when you're on this drug because there can be poor interactions with foods, for example. So it can be harder to take. Just finally, there's the atypical antidepressants, which is a kind of range of different types of mechanisms of these drugs. But they're also used quite frequently. And one of these is Welbutrin, uh, which is commonly prescribed in the US as well and the UK. And so why I talk about all these different groups of antidepressants and how they have their different range of side effects is that some will work better for individuals than others will. And it generally takes about four to six weeks for the patient to know how it's going to impact them. Why they work differently, we don't exactly know, but everybody's own cause of major depression is going to be unique and a accumulation of life's events for them. And so there may be slightly different pathways in their brains that are kind of altered subtly and giving rise to their illness. And so with these different range of antidepressants, they all have slightly different ways of acting. And so some will be more suited to others. And that's why it's important to allow the patient to reach the right treatment for them. You said that it takes four to six weeks for a patient to know if this is going to work for them. And I guess that's on at least two measures. Number one, are they achieving the benefits the drug is designed to offer? And number two, are the side effects tolerable or manageable to where they can adapt to that? So four to six weeks to a person that's dealing with major depression, that's a long time. uh, Agonizing. That's a great word for it. That's really difficult. And I imagine there's also some role that the placebo effect can have while they're taking this as well, right? Yes. So um, placebo effect can have quite a strong impact for the patient. And so it's hard to know whether the medication was the right medication for them or the support and the, the placebo effect of having this medication helped them exit that phase of their major depression. And so that's important to note. The other thing that you mentioned was the difficulty with the side effects. So I mentioned they all have a different range of side effects and different patients might have different symptoms. So the side effects might be more or less tolerable for them or different lifestyles. And that really, really affects very strongly whether a patient is going to be able to utilize this drug, utilize this medication. So another kind of need in terms of getting patients faster to the right medication for them is a better understanding of how their side effects are going to manifest and therefore help them be able to tolerate the drug for long enough to have that four to six week effect, to have that change that allows them to have the best possible outcome from that medication. Now, you're working to shift this process, this trial and error approach, and move it outside of the patient. And perhaps this is similar to what we've seen in other areas like cancer treatments and things where they're actually doing testing on the patient's cells and response outside of the patient. Tell us about what you're doing and how this applies to mental health. So both me and my co-founder, Daphne Leifenfeld, are very strong believers in each individual being unique. And to say that uh, 
it's one size fits all for every medication in each person, I think was a wonderful way for us to get where we've gotten to in medicine. But now that we have more drugs on the market and a better understanding of the underlying causes of the variety of different diseases we're trying to treat, we can start to tailor medication for each individual. And so we know there's been a precedence in the cancer space, especially and in other disease areas, and the brain, the mind is behind. Depression is a space with so many distinct medications and each of them working on distinct pathways with different types of side effect profiles. It's a very exciting space to start and to bring personalized medicine to patients. We have a lot of information available from the individuals, and I can go into the details of the type of information we use, but we have a lot of information from a large number of patients around the world. And that means we can really make some progress in bringing a shortcut to this trial and error process and say, which drug are you most likely to have the best outcome from? I'm speaking with Talia Cohen-Salal, the CEO and co-founder of Genetica Plus. We're talking about major depressive disorder or clinical depression. When we come back, we'll find out what's being done to accelerate the identification of the right medications that are effective in a personalized way. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this word for one of our sponsors. Welcome back. I'm Dan Kendall, and I'm here with Talia Cohen-Salal, the CEO and co-founder of Genetica Plus. Talia, before the break, you told us about the different categories of medications that could be used to treat clinical depression. And it really seems like this trial and error approach to find a medication that works is really a disservice to the people suffering from this condition. You've been doing some research to identify better ways to help accelerate that process and get people on the medications that work best for them. What can you tell me about that? So at Genetica Plus, we have a three-pillared approach to providing the best medical advice for that patient and that physician. The first is to understand the patient's genetic background. The patient's genetics is very important for understanding if they can even process a drug in the first place. If your liver is blocking that drug for getting to your brain, you shouldn't be taking that drug. And so that will save you already some of that process of trying one drug after another for the ones that would never even make it to your brain. The second element is an understanding of the patient's symptoms and medication history. If that patient has certain symptoms that will not be tolerable compared to the side effects that a drug will induce, we want to provide that information to the patient and make sure that they don't end up wasting time on a drug that they just can't tolerate. And then the third is saying, well, we know that the drug is going to make it to the brain. We know that the patient will be able to tolerate that drug, but how is the drug actually going to work on the brain? And this is a, a new element that we're adding to our platform, which is to say, when a patient is going to be treated with that drug, how might their cells and their own brain respond? And to do that, we're generating our brain in a dish screening model and testing the different antidepressants to read out which ones have the greatest impact in this model. We know it's not a direct readout of the brain, but it's the closest we can get in this day and age and adds a great deal of information as to how that patient might actually respond to that drug in real life. That's really exciting because I know that the success rate in identifying the correct medication for a patient without this sort of technology or solution is pretty low, right? It's around 10% in terms of being able to choose the correct medication. Correct. So, well, it depends on the baseline. When you get these totally drug-naive patients, so patients who come in for the first time with these SSRIs, they generally have a 30 to 40% success rate, though the numbers vary a lot in, depending on the reports. But then once they've already failed on multiple lines of medication, that 
readout can be as low as 10% of the time that the medication will work for that patient. And so we call this treatment-resistant depression or treatment-refractory. And these are the patients that are in the most need of help that we really want to make a big impact on, at least at the beginning, who are already have been going through this journey for, for multiple medications. And that level is around 10%. And with a genetics-only platform, it's thought that the predictive abilities can be around 15%. We want to dramatically increase these numbers. So where are you guys then in your development pathway right now in terms of the research that you've done? And when can we expect over the next 12, 24 months, what can we expect to hear from Genetica Plus? So we're currently underway with a clinical trial approach to test how accurate our technology can be at predicting the right outcomes for the patient. And we're doing that using a uh, retrospective approach. So we've gained access to patient data that have already been successfully treated by medications. And we're using our platform to predict how much of the time we would have been able to get that right using the Genetica Plus platform. We hope within uh, 12 to 18 months to have some really exciting findings on the efficacy of our platform. And then we'll start to try and bring that to more patients in the world today. And where are you focusing geographically? You're based in Israel. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got that lovely British accent, but you're, <laughs> I, you're focused on America as your top geographic uh, market right now, right? Uh, yes. Well, to add to my uh, global history, I was also uh, in the States for five years and uh, moved to Israel just two and a half years ago. But we believe that the US market is a good market to begin to release our technology. But obviously, this is a global problem and we don't see ourselves stopping there. Well, we have an active community of listeners to this program. Are there particular collaborators or partners or professionals that you'd like to have get in touch with you about your work? Yeah, that would be great. We're uh, looking to build partners with different healthcare centers or medical centers in the U.S. as we'd like to start piloting our technology or working together with medical centers to bring the test to their centers in a clinical trial manner, but still to start to build those collaborations. So anybody looking to bring in new technologies to their platform, we'd be happy to speak. Great. They can find more about your work at Genetica Plus. That's G-E-N-E-T-I-K-A, geneticaplus.com. And can they get in touch with you directly? Sure. Anybody can feel free to reach out at talia at geneticaplus.com. We'd be happy to hear from you. Well, we'll make sure that we keep that email address just here on the audio program. We won't include that link on any of the show notes just because we don't want you to end up getting spammed by a bunch of people. But if you're interested in Genetica Plus and their work, you'd like to get in touch with Talia, please do drop her a line at talia at geneticaplus.com. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing the work that you do. It really holds the power to impact thousands of people and affect you know current and future generations of people who are working to overcome major depression. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before I let you go? I'd just like to reiterate that major depression can manifest in a wide range of symptoms. And if anybody out there feels like they're suffering or a family member might be suffering, to make sure that they reach out to a healthcare provider nearby or a carer because so many patients and people are going underdiagnosed and underhelped. And it's better to help people at the start than too late. That's great advice. We will include a few links to some resources that people can find about government resources, provider, employer resources, charitable organizations that are focused on helping people when they're experiencing depression. So great advice. Thanks for that recommendation. And thank you for joining me here on the program. No problem. It's been wonderful to join you. Thank you very much for your time. That was Talia Cohen-Salal, the CEO and co-founder of Genetica Plus. 
I just want to reiterate Tanya's last point that she made there in that conversation. If you or someone you know are experiencing the symptoms of depression, please reach out and connect with services that can help. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services has a confidential 24-7 helpline set up, and you can reach that on 1-800-662-HELP. That's HELP, H-E-L-P. Again, 1-800-662-HELP. I've included that link in the show notes on your podcast player. And of course, there are local and national services in other places all around the world. If you'd like to find out more about Genetica Plus, you can go to the Startup Nation Central website to read more about their team, their investors, and more. Get there by going to startupnationcentral.org and then click on the Startup Nation Finder in the top right corner. It's free to create an account and you can find over 6,000 companies listed there. It's a really powerful tool. If you're looking for companies to invest in, if you're searching for forward-thinking partners, or if you're in the market for cutting-edge products and services, you can find it all there. Again, startupnationcentral.org, then go to the top right corner and click on Startup Nation Finder. And of course, you can also find that link in the show notes. How'd you like this episode? Please take a moment to give us a quick review on iTunes or reach out to me directly by email at dan at digitalhealthtoday.com or on Twitter at healthtechdan. That's all for me for now. I'll speak with you soon on the next episode. And until next time, keep on innovating.